0: Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. My name is Tom Broback, and I'm on a mission to help high school coaches keep their athletes happy and healthy. I loved playing sports growing up. From backyard football to traveling basketball to high school track and field, There was nothing better than being on a team and playing to win a game. Unfortunately, I struggled with health issues, and I know your athletes do, too. This inspired me to become a physical therapist and sports performance coach. This podcast will help coaches like you Learn how to keep your athletes off the bench and in the game. Today, I'm really excited to have my guest on, Edwin Porez as we talk fantasy football, professional baseball, and what it takes to be a physical therapist. Edwin is an awesome guest, and he has his own podcast, the Injury Prone Podcast, that you should check out after listening to this episode. Thank you, Edwin, for being on the show, and thank you, all listeners, for taking time to be a part of of the Tom Brobeck Podcast Community. Thanks for taking time to be on the podcast, Edwin. I, uh, we've had some brief interactions on Twitter, and those are my favorite places to meet podcast guests because uh, I can learn a lot about them. I know they're interested in their, in their career and development and connecting with other people. So thanks for taking time tonight to be on the podcast. I'm excited to talk a variety of things with you, mostly physical therapy, injuries in sports, and sports and kind of whatever else comes up. So for a third time, thanks again for being on the show. Tom, I want to thank you for having me
1: on. And I really feel like the conversation we had right before uh, we hit record uh, is going to set the ground in the framework because I feel like now I have to bring it. You said your favorite guests are the ones who do podcasts and I do a podcast However, I do solo podcasts. We'll see if that translates, but I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate you thinking that I'm, um, relevant enough in our profession to have these conversations and I'm excited to have them with you. So
0: let's do it. That is the quickest plug for my guest podcast. I think I've ever had. So congrats (laughs) on getting that. I didn't say the name. I didn't say the (laughs) name. I didn't say the name. I didn't mean to plug it either. No no, no no, I like that. I like you got to promote yourself right because that's how other people learn and grow. If you sit in a corner and, and never tell anyone what you know, you're not gonna make a dent in the universe. Um, but since you're out the podcast and I like talking to other podcast hosts, let's start with you have one of the most unique podcasts um, that I have found as someone who loves playing fancy football. I've played fancy football. I actually just got a picture this week. My aunt found a it was a fa- we used to fax. I don't know how old you are, but Woo. this was like grade school. We would fax our uh fancy uh scores to each other cuz we would do it by hand. We'd pick it from the paper. No yards, It was touchdowns only. Anyways, my aunt found this sheet from like 2001 and uh so I've been I've been in the fantasy game for a while. That doesn't mean I'm getting any better, but you host a podcast where you talk about injury rates and fantasy and any fantasy football player knows like that is one of the most important things. When is my player coming back from injury and how serious is the injury they just had, but you do it in a unique perspective where you pull a lot of research and data and past experiences of other similar injuries into making an analysis and a judgment and an educated guess on what's going to happen. How did you come about uh, deciding you want to put a podcast out about that topic? Man, so I appreciate you bringing it up. I guess I'm the one who brought it up, right? So
1: I guess we'll talk about it <laughs> now. So now I'll plug it. The Injury Prone fantasy Football Podcast. Um, yeah, man, is is one of those things that I don't really know the specifics. I think I was actually driving home with my wife and I was like, I think I want to start an injury podcast, right? I want to start being an injury analyst, whatever that even means, right? I was looking at a lot of different people who were doing it at the time, right? Obviously, the OG Stefania Bell. I think she was literally the first injury analyst uh, in fantasy football, you know, in fantasy sports, period. And I was pulling a lot of stuff from her and she had a lot of good stuff. And I was like, well, I think I could do this. It was my last year of PT school. I uh, got this, you know, crappy little logo. I don't know if I can cuss, so I'm not going to. Uh, got this crappy little logo on uh, Twitter. I started doing this Twitter thing, right? And then a couple of years later, that that grew a couple years later. I was like, oh, I'll do the podcast. The podcast was meant to be sort of like a word vomit of all of my thoughts. Because a lot of times the really engaged fantasy player will will tweet at me or send me a direct message and be like, hey, what do you think of this player, right? And Twitter's capped, you have 280 characters, whatever it is. So I really thought that it'd be something beneficial to just sort of word vomit my thought process. I never start anything with the intention of thinking that I'm going to be right or wrong or like with the intention of telling any fantasy player what to do. I kind of just give them my thoughts based on, like you were saying, the data that I've read and what I've seen in the clinic and what I know about the injury itself, what the team is reporting, what the practice reports say, blah, 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 right? I try to give it into a concise little snippet. Um, and we were talking before we record, right? Like sometimes for me, it's hard to come home and be like, oh, now I got to record the podcast, right? Because it's kind of like a side thing that I do, but it's been fun. Um, I've, it's, it's been fun to watch it grow. I don't do anything as important as this podcast. So I feel like the, these types of podcasts are the, are like the... The bread and butter. These are the types of podcasts that I still like grow from professionally. These are the ones I listen to back and forth driving to class. Um, these are the ones that I feel like are professionally engaging. They challenge the way that I'm thinking. And I I often joke with my wife that like I don't do anything important. It doesn't matter how many Twitter followers I do. Like it's not the most important thing in the world. Uh, I think this stuff is super important. I think having these kinds of podcasts with dialogues with strength coaches, PTs, you know, pr- uh, pr- rehab professionals is really the bread and butter of where where our profession is. So I'm I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be taken seriously.
0: There we go. That no fancy, all fancy talk is serious. Um, I do college fantasy. I do pro fantasy. Um, But one of my, one of my questions for you is the average person has a little better understanding of injury timelines when it comes to their, to their fantasy football players and for athletes in general, when they hear the word ACL tear or ACL surgery or ankle sprain, they kind of have a rough idea of how long that's going to be. Um, But sometimes that information is a little bit limited. Sometimes uh, ankle sprain, they assume, oh, like my other fantasy player, he came back in a week, so this player should come in a week. And us as therapists, we know that's not always the case. The severity of the injury matters. The the history of the athlete matters. The context of when it happens. Um, There's so many different factors going into that. What do you bring to your audience that helps them understand those nuances of the different types of injuries and also, more, most importantly, the timelines uh, of rehab for those, those injured players? That's a really good question. So the answer, I think, in short is context. A lot of
1: times you see a number or a timeline or a report from like a Schefter or a Rappaport and you and I will see that And then if we will have seen the injury or know the terminology, can safely deduce, you know, oh, that's what that actually means. But what I've learned is that my job as a fantasy injury analyst, whatever you want to call it, is to paint the context. Like what is, like you were saying, what does this ankle sprain mean? Well, we saw it on video. It looked like some eversion external rotation. You communicate that to the audience who's generally not healthcare professionals. Hey, this looks like, you know, uh, what's called a high ankle sprain. These are a little more severe or they can be a little bit more severe than a regular lateral ankle sprain. Like when you twist your ankle, my mentor said it really, really well, um, which it was funny. We got to even talking about fantasy, right? This is my like orthopedic uh, residency mentor. We got to talking about fantasy football and he really worded it well when he said that I am essentially providing epidemiological education. And that's really the Mm. foundation is like. You are giving, painting the context of what this injury means based on the reports and what you're seeing, and you're conveying that to what that could potentially mean from a timeline perspective. And so, in a really weird way, it's kind of just like patient education, just like on a sort of a Mm -hmm. bigger scale.
0: One thing that I always struggled with uh, as being a therapist is educating the patient on the timeline. When I first came out of school, I thought I had to have like a specific, usually it's in weeks or in months. It's like, okay... In six weeks, you're going to be better or in, you know, six months, you're going to be back to sport. Uh, in the last couple, uh, you know, year or two, I started giving more like timelines. Like, hey, here's a average time or a, a range like, hey, this injury typically six to eight weeks or nine to 12 months. And I also give the qualifier, it depends. That's just the, the timeline aspect. That's not the objective criteria of what you need to hit in order to go back to your sport or do the activities you want to do. And I think that more thought out answer has really helped me educate patients and give them a better, uh, more, well, what's the word I'm looking for? A better, uh, expectation, expectation. of, yeah. Hey, mm-hmm. if I do well, here's the early side. If I don't do as well, here's the later side. But that doesn't mean like I'm still within a range of normal instead of if I don't hit that six month mark, then I failed. And I think, uh some of that r- like range of outcomes really helps with people. Do you do that a lot when you're giving out um either fantasy analysis or talking with your patients? yeah, i mean i I do that a lot and and um,
1: I don't know who hates it more. the athletes or <laughs> fantasy fantasy football uh gamers. Uh, but yeah, I give a lot of nuance. I try to stay as nuanced as possible. I try to stay as non op absolute as possible because it all depends, right. Especially talking with patients, if you have an individual who, let's say, they have shoulder pain, and they're a window washer, and let's say that you know anybody else, let's say they're a desk jockey, or you know, let's say that they do something non-physical, whatever, right? You're thinking to yourself, "Now oh, this rotator cuff pain, probably going to clear up here in the next like this person is pretty active; they're generally healthy." They don't do anything too active for their job. They like to work out. It seems like they'll do the the HEP. They'll probably clear up in three or four weeks, right? Can't necessarily say that for the window washer who might not be on the healthiest side. Uh, maybe they, they have some comorbidities. Maybe they, you know, who knows, are a smoker, whatever the case may be, right? You have to consider the context and be like, well, maybe it's not going to be three to four weeks for this specific individual, given the, the context of the injury. And so you might extend that a little bit, a little bit out. Same goes for like the fantasy stuff. You can look at uh, what a team says will happen or what a coach specifically says will happen. You Coaches are love getting coach speak. Um, you know, like Belichick will, will say, like, this dude's fine and they'll be out five weeks. Um, so you have to provide context in that way. And in a weird way, I've also started incorporating that, like, is this coach reliable versus not? And strangely enough, I've gone down enough rabbit holes that I, at some point, did like an analysis on coaches and whether their their uh, commentary was reliable or not. So that's something you also play, you know, put into into the timeline context. So yeah, the, the answer is I do, I try to give as much nuance as possible. And people don't like nuance, right? People want to know, mm-hmm. when am I back? When can I get back on the field? When can I get back to work? When can I go back to the gym? And that's, that's hard, man. Like I, I've, mm-hmm. I've learned as a therapist, like, got to be as transparent as honest as possible because you're never going to you're never going to have a crystal ball and that is that is really frustrating um as a young therapist that was the most frustrating thing for me
0: a challenge in the therapy world especially when you're you're first getting out is a lot of people get information from other sources typically it's from the doctor but it also might be from the google gods it might be from their cousin who had the same injury it might even be from our new uh vetted source, TikTok. And sometimes TikTok, this information yes. sometimes this information is very helpful. The patient has a better understanding of what the injury is. They kind of know like this is what to expect from PT, um, and they've done their they've done their research as best as they can. Other times it can be a hindrance to the education we are trying to provide and the timeline we're trying to lay out for them. How do you handle situations when either an athlete, or a patient, or even like a colleague comes to you, and they have some misinformation that you are trying to clear up and, and give them better direction for.
1: Um, I really like the idea of, and I learned this. I think I learned this from Jeff Moore, the CEO of the Institute of Clinical Excellence. He said it's on a podcast. I'm like, I'm like a fanboy for the for those people. You'd think that I get paid to to promote them, and I don't. Um, I think it was him that said it's always yes and, or, you know, it's, and then we talked about that in my residences too. It's, I try to stay with the and not or mentality. So, you know, if a, if a patient comes to me specifically and it says, well, I hear that for my low back pain, I should walk, right? And like they're dead set on like walking should be a part of what I do. The answer easily, right? As PTs could be yes. And maybe let's take a look at this, these extension exercises that you really tended to like and really took away your symptoms, right? For a, a baseball player, right? Specific setting. Well, I heard if I something really basic, right? Like strengthen my cuff, then this will, you know, this, this will mitigate my injury in the future. Yeah. And let's take a look at your thoracic rotation, right? And I know that like, those are really basic examples. It's not always that cut and dry, but that's the attitude that I try to approach it in as opposed to, Oh, why are you looking at things that you should, you know, that's hogwash. That's, you know, like, no, I mean, patient preferences, right? It's not just like some guru hippie thing that we say, like there's evidence to show that patient preferences matter and they play into outcomes. So when it comes to that kind of stuff with patient care, I do try to be as inclusive as possible.
0: What happens when the patient or the athlete has, they're doing something or they want to do something that might be, or, you know, is detrimental to their rehab they're doing an unsafe exercise. They're uh, doing way too much volume. They are getting information that's that's that blatantly false. And it, it, it taking away from exactly what you're trying to do. How do you handle that situation then? Hard, man. You're putting me on the spot now. You didn't put this on the sheet. I shouldn't answer
1: it. <laughs> Next question. No, I'm just kidding. Um, good question, right? So if I know for a fact, which that is even another debate that I know that you'd be interested in as well, like oh well, what is detrimental? What Does anything we even do really work? Like what works, right? That's a whole. That's the whole nihilistic that's a new attitude. Show. That right? is maybe that's,
0: off the podcast because that gets. I'm that gets the wrong. The I'm the wrong
1: person to talk to about that. I don't have as much nuance and context as some some people do. I think Greg <laughs> Layman would be your guy to talk about that stuff. Uh, <laughs> um, for me, if somebody you know if that happens, and I've had that happen, I've had that happen fairly recently, I think you have to reverse engineer it. If you have an individual in front of you who you know, regardless of what you say, regardless of evidence you show them, regardless of even if you do the thing where you're like, hey, let's do this test, retest, holy cow, your performance is better. If you get those people, those athletes, whatever those clients in front of you, and you know, that's the case, you have to reverse engineer it and learn to accept at least I have, I shouldn't say you or anybody. I've learned to accept the fact that all I can do is give a recommendation. And what I've learned is that starting everything that I say in terms of education discussion is, I recommend, right? I don't say mm-hmm. you need to do this, you need to do that, right. And taking on like really, taking on the spirit of that, you know beginning phrase is, I recommend. If a patient is adamant on doing something, To me, the answer has become, I don't recommend that. But Mm -hmm. I know if that's what you're going to do, that's what you're going to do. Because ultimately, it's true, right? Like, we're not in charge of an athlete's body. We're not in charge of our clients' bodies. We're not in charge of anybody. We are essentially consultants, right, on a a weekly, whatever, semi-weekly basis. And we give advice that we think is helpful and beneficial. Ultimately, it's the individual who is up to take that advice or not take that advice. And it's hard to accept that. And it's been hard for me to accept that, but I try to take that attitude as much as possible, right? And I sound really idealistic, like I do this all the time. Like, no, it's been a struggle. Like, it's been hard to accept that. Um, But that's where I'm at right now. And maybe it'll change in a year. Maybe it'll change in five years, my attitude on that. But that's what I've been trying to accept more frequently.
0: I think it's good that you're open to the idea that that will change. I think even five years ago, it's like I was just, I was finishing up PT school. The clinic I work at now didn't even exist. I wasn't on Twitter. Like there's so many things that change in the future. And I saw this, I saw this the other day. It's like humans are terrible at predicting the future. So the idea that you're open to, okay, this is how my current philosophy is um when I'm presented with information that I think is false or detrimental, this is how I approach it now, but I'm open to changing in the future. I think that's a sign of a, a healthy uh and and forward thinking clinician instead of this is the way it has to be done, I'm never gonna change. And I think some of those characteristics is what holds a little bit of our profession back where we've always done this way. Why would we do anything different? Um, Cause we know in physical therapy, like we've every PT that's listening to this podcast knows patient comes in. Well, I didn't really do my exercises or, Hey, I started out good and I fell out. Like there's always room for improvement and connecting with patients and, and trying to get them down the same path that you're trying to go to better function, less pain and give them back to the activities they want to do. So I applaud you on having that foresight of being open and changing your philosophies, even though you probably think what you're doing now is the best thing possible, the best things right, possible right. for for your patients and athletes.
1: Well, and if I want to add one more thing, if I can, I also understand the, the unintended consequences, or I guess the, the next logical step is, well, what if you have a person or athlete or client who just, who consistently, persistently, is doing basically the opposite of what you believe will make them better. And what if they persistently, consistently come back and are not better or are worse, right? One, I think it's an opportunity after one or two times that happens to be like, hey, you know, a little bit of motivational interviewing, right? I've observed, you've done X. I understand why you wanted to do X, that's what you believed was right at the time. I want you to know that I get it and I understand. How has that worked for you to this point? And having that conversation with them, because I do understand that like in this high paced world, especially if you're like in the traditional outpatient setting, you don't have necessarily the bandwidth to just sort of keep hitting your head against the wall, visit after visit after visit when there are people in line, right? There's a wait list. So I think having that conversation and being like, how has that worked for you? I'm trying to get them to, to realize and see a little bit about what's happened and you know, saying ultimately, this has been my recommendation and my advice it doesn't appear that it's something you're interested in taking maybe we're not maybe we're not a fit maybe this is not something that we can continue and i think that it's it's a simple answer but it's a really difficult conversation to have right if you get to that point um and i think that's the hard part i'm I'm fortunate enough that i've never had to have that type of conversation but i definitely thought about what i would do if that ever happened so that's a tough conversation that I, I hope I never have. And if, if you've out there had it, I, I commend you. <laughs> I empathize with you. That's probably been a hard uh, conversation to have. So I know that sometimes there's no like easy answer. Sometimes there's no, um, you know, magical world where everything's, you know,
0: rainbows and butterflies. The more we talk here, I think everyone thinks, oh, like Edwin, he works in a clinic and he just looks up fancy football all day. But that can be further from the truth because you took this new amazing position uh, as a um, minor league physical therapist with the Minnesota Twins, um, tell me how that experience has been from going from like the clinic life to a whole different setting with new goals, new, um, new coworkers, workers new uh, schedules. How's that transition been for you in developing your career?
1: Man, I think it's gone as smoothly as it could go. And that's to say that it hasn't gone very smoothly, but that's nobody's fault. <laughs> right. I'm being dropped from we were just talking before we hit record, right? Like every 45 minutes, one at a time, general outpatient ortho, et mm-hmm. cetera, et cetera. Now I'm like in the training room, which anybody out there's been in a training room, you know what a training room's like. Well, I didn't until, you know, a couple months ago. So that's another, and I'm sure we'll get into how that happened, but it has been an adjustment. It's been uh fun. I'll say for one, two, I'll say that, and, and I, I hope it. I this doesn't come off negatively because I know that a lot of people are struggling right now, burnout, you know, you know we're getting wage cuts, everything that's going on right now, especially with the pandemic, you know, coupled on top of that. So I know it's a lot of people have it rough. I'm very, very, very highly fortunate to wake up every day. And I don't dread when my alarm goes off at 530 in the morning, right? Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not mad that I have to get up and go to work. It's the coolest thing that I get to do. I get paid to do this thing. So it's been um, really good for perspective for sure. But the, the the drop into the training room has been cool. It's been fun. I'm still learning every single day I'm learning something. Um, but it's been a different time management beast. You sort of just get dropped. You, you show up to work and you're not necessarily on a schedule. You are just there. And <laughs> you need to get your work done before the day ends. Get up and do it again. So it's been an adjustment for sure. But I sort of like that. It's been a, um it's been a match for my personality. I don't like being a, on a very rigid and structured schedule. Like if I need to see a guy twice a day, if I think that's appropriate or necessary, then that's cool. Or I can say, hey, don't come in until 10 because I got to see three other guys, whatever the case may be. Like that's it's flexible in that way. So in a way in mm-hmm. one in some ways it's really hectic and other ways it's really nice because you have the flexibility to do that.
0: One of the biggest issues in the sports performance world is the communication and expectations between um, the different roles. So you have the coaches, you have the athletes, you have the medical staff. You have typically, like at the younger levels, like you have parents involved. How has your experience been with communicating with different uh, different roles throughout the organization, including the most important ones, the athletes themselves? With the athletes themselves, I've. I knew coming in that they were going
1: to be more invested than the average general population. But mm. what that looked like, I wasn't quite sure what that looked like. So that's been something I'm still absorbing. Um, so that's one thing is like what that looks like in terms of when players are like, I'm all in like, th- like let's do this. Um, that can be good. <laughs> and if you're not on top, you know, on your A game and if you, you know, your communication isn't exactly how it needs to be worded exactly the way that it should be worded, then you're going to have to eat that. You're going to have to wear that and explain to them and be account, hold yourself accountable. Um, So that's been one aspect that I've really, really learned in terms of communication, the other communication. And I said, and uh, my, uh, my basically my boss, right? So he he hates when I say that Adam diamond, he's a major league guy. Um, He said this and he says it perfectly too. Like in terms of athletes and when they're either injured, hurt, whatever, Coaches don't want to know what they can't do. Coaches want to know what they can do. And mm. I interpret that a little bit differently than, than what he said it. I actually think coaches want to know what athletes can't do, but they want it paired with two or three things that they can do because coaches, not to say they don't care about injuries, but coaches, one sole mission, their job is to make that athlete 1% better than they were the day prior or 2% better, right? And if you're basically removing an aspect of a modality that they need to do to, to accomplish that task, then you are by proxy, you know, for better or for worse, you're the reason they can't strive towards that 1% better. So you always want to communicate A as thoroughly as possible and B as creatively as possible to say, "Hey, you know, I I think that this guy would benefit from laying off X, Y, and Z." But let me tell you that he can still do A, B, C, D, and E. And I wanted to discuss with you about him maybe doing F. What do you think about him trying F today as a replacement for A? And those are the conversations that I think are constantly evolving. I'm still learning to apply them and, and adapt to them. Um, but being open to the communication, like in good faith, trying to find ways around some injuries that might occur.
0: To give a more concrete example in like the baseball world, let's just say your recommendation is this guy shouldn't pitch today well, does that mean he can't throw? Does that mean he can't hit? Does that mean he can't field? Does it mean he can't uh, do you know, sprints or conditioning? Does it mean he can't lift weights? Does it mean he can't raise his arm over his head? What does that actually mean? And I think the way you describe it is the coach needs to know, hey, this guy can't pitch. And it might even be, can he pitch off the mound? Can he pitch uh, You know, flat ground? Being more specific with what, where that line is of these things are my recommendation going back to recommendations. I don't recommend these things happening today, but I recommend these specific things that maybe a coach doesn't know those progressions on the stress or the adaptations, uh, on the shoulder. And they don't know, Hey, like hitting a baseball is a lot different than the stress of throwing a baseball and maybe hitting the baseball is okay. And I think that open dialogue between, um you the coach and i assume the athlete makes it for uh, everyone just knows what's going on that transparency that's what everyone wants like what are like what's he telling me he said i can't pitch well does that mean i can't do anything or or where am i at i think that is a very healthy um it takes more effort on your part 100% right you really got to think okay like where is this line but it seems like that gets way better buy in from the coach and athlete who might be a little skeptical of all right, this new guy told me I can pitch today. Uh, does he actually know what he's talking about, or or what's up? Hundred percent. And I think
1: giving uh, coaches to the benefit of the doubt or, or credit to like some of our pitching coaches are really sharp dudes. Like they're and they're only dudes. So I don't say that like you know whatever. They're all dudes in in yeah. this moment. <laughs> so impressive. they're all dudes. They're really sharp guys. And having that conversation and like giving them that. I don't want to say like extending an olive branch or anything like that, but like giving them that that sincere in good faith discussion, like allowing them to give input because what th- their input does matter, it, it goes a long way. And I and again, this goes back to almost like the the same the thing we were talking about with, you know, somebody who might not take your advice um, in terms of um, in terms of you can give recommendations and, and have that discussion and have those tough discussions. Like in theory, this isn't hard, right? Like in theory, well, yeah, you know, integrative practice and, and, and everybody's holding hands and, you know, by a campfire and it's easy. Like you just got to be transparent and talk to your coaches and talk to your athletes and talk to your, to your colleagues. And it's easy when you're in a facility, you know, in a complex where everybody has the same goal, like in theory, yeah. Right. That's easy. It's a practical application of it that that you have to hold yourself to that standard constantly. And it does take more effort, like you were saying. So that's that's another thing I've learned too, is application versus like theory. Like, yeah, I, th- I can do that. But once you're in it and you're in the fire and you've got five athletes you have to see, and then you have a meeting at one o'clock and oh, by the way, hey, you know, the coordinator just called you, wants to have a conversation with you. Still holding yourself accountable to have that conversation with the coach as soon as possible is is, is the practical application.
0: One of the biggest uh, uh, challenges that I face in clinic is when I get an athlete who is really gun ho about getting back to sport, even before uh, they think they might even be ready for it. And I'm a more conservative person by nature um, with like injuries and just being safe and thinking things through. And then as a PT, I'm even more conservative because I, I see a lot of injuries and I don't want this athlete to be injured. For example, I had a recent ACL at the person uh, she had uh, ACL reconstruction and 1 month out she's like, "When can we run?" And she was like thinking like today. I was like, "Okay, let's cool the jets. Like I we talked about this, like you're still not there." And like she knew that, but she's just like really excited to get back. Um and I think when we're talking about this kind of idealistic like, "Oh, like everyone's going to agree with my recommendations." Like I said six weeks, like it's going to be six weeks, but not every coach and athlete thinks that way. Some of them are really going home like, hey, I I need to play tomorrow. I need to play on Saturday. Do you struggle with changing your recommendations or having a more in-depth conversation of I'm still going to recommend this, but you guys like we're going to leave this open to what you think is best? How do you handle that situation?
1: Yeah, that's hard, right? Changing a rec when you when you said one thing. And I think right. it's uh, again, it goes back to that transparency of this is what I think right now. And saying that on the front end, this mm. is what I think right now. Um, especially with the, I've actually found that that's the most difficult thing to say with the athlete is is changing plans is more difficult with them once you've established a plan, right? So a lot of times um, I don't want to say a lot of times, but I've already caught myself with kind of a communicating right, a half-baked idea, a half-baked estimate, a half-baked projection that I should maybe mm-hmm. think through a little bit more. Maybe I've been thinking about it as I'm working with another dude, right? Maybe it's going through my head. We're doing manual, whatever, and I'm thinking about this. Maybe I should give myself a minute, have a seat, think about what I'm thinking, think about the progression that I have for this specific guy before I communicate it. It's not that you're withholding or not, I'm. not it's not that I'm withholding information, but it's that I'm giving myself the time to decompress, get myself out of sympathetic, sit down mm-hmm. and let my brain think through this one task that might take 30 seconds, right? It might be 30 seconds of sitting there and thinking just about this specific thing before communicating it, right? Because if you think you're going to one direction, you go the other direction, that's when you get in trouble. Uh, I've gotten in trouble with that and I've had to wear it. I've had to be like, listen, I know I told you this. I'm sorry. I thought about it more. I talked to this person, that person. This is what it's going to be. and. That's hard, right? That's that's really hard to take accountability for that. Like that sucks. Taking accountability sucks, um, mm-hmm. especially when you're wrong. But I think that ultimately holding yourself to that standard is going to get you what you want. And ultimately, we want is and what everybody wants, every organization, every, any clinic, wherever you're at, is, is to make people better and, and get them back to what they want to do. So, holding yourself to that standard's hard, but I think that's the most important part.
0: That is a lesson kind of learned the hard way. I don't think any of us like, oh, that person's never wrong. We don't like being around those people. But when we're wrong, it's really easy to, oh, like, I'm just going to sweep this under the rug or I'm going to point fingers or I'm just going to talk my way out of it. Um, in the moment, it is super difficult to look someone in the eye and be like, hey, I screwed up. This is what I did. This is what I should have done. Like, I apologize. Like, I should have done better. Here's how I can be better going forward. And at the time, it's really hard because in your mind, you're like, this person will never trust me again, or like they're just they're not gonna like me, or like my career's over. And usually it doesn't go that way. It Very often doesn't go that way. What happens instead is the next obstacle comes up. the The person that you're working with, whether it's an athlete, coach, coworker, they're looking at that and be like, okay, like this guy's gonna be honest. with Me, like he was honest before. To be honest now, and there's more willingness to to collaborate or to share more information, to change plans when things come up. Uh, but at the time, it's so hard to be honest and to take accountability. And I don't know if that's something that society just doesn't instill in us very well, or if we are driven by such other factors, ex- other external rewards, where lying and not taking you know, blame, just think we think we get ahead in life. I don't know where that exactly comes from. But I have learned in my own experiences too. Very similarly, like the more you can own up to mistakes uh, as soon as possible and be transparent, the more people around you it actually like like pulls you together better instead of that pulling apart that you're afraid of.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a good point too. Is if you're honest with them on the front end, like they're gonna believe what you have to say the next time, and at least they're honest. Right? Mm-hmm. Like they're, they told you, you know, you told them exactly where you were coming from at the time, what your thought process was, and just being, you know, telling, when when somebody tells me, hey, you know, and I'm sure you feel this way. I'm sure everybody feels this way. When you've had those instances where somebody comes up to you and point blank looks you in the eye and says, hey, I was wrong. I'm sorry. This is what I'm going to do moving forward. It's it like catches you, you know, sort of, by surprise almost because if you were saying like, I don't, it's, I don't think it's very common to actively voice those concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I totally am on board with that. At least that's, that's what makes me feel better. Tom is I tell myself that they're going to trust me more next time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, they should because you are my biggest celebrity guest. Not only do you have your own podcast, you are also featured <laughs> in an article on the athletic. Oh, so you are the yeah. biggest celebrity to me so far. Um, And in that article, I do not to to shift too far here, but in the article, it did talk about um, some of your struggles with what things that make you unique. And one of those is that you're a bilingual speaker. um, And that is part, not the whole reason, but part of the reason that uh, an an organization like uh, the Minnesota Twins were interested in you because you had this unique ability. And in this world where we try so hard to make things that are not very unique unique it's like okay everyone does like oh i played high school football it's like everyone did that that's not very unique but you have this unique trait to you where you can speak two languages and you're using a capacity that is that is so beneficial because so many minor i don't know the exact number so many minor league baseball players speak spanish and they don't know english very well and when they're talking to medical staff they want someone who understands what they're trying to say or what they're, you know, they don't want to be interpreted wrong. Talk me through that process of you kind of owning that uniqueness and using it to your advantage, uh, in your career.
1: Yeah. So big topic, right? I'll try not to ramble. I've been rambling. I'm sorry. Um, no, it's less work for me. I love it. (laughs) So yes, I'm using my, my Spanish speaking ability to its fullest capacity. Um, and it's helped me achieve, you know, pretty significant dream of mine professionally. Um, the way that, I don't know if I'm going to answer your question or not, but I'm going to try. So I think it's important to be able to connect with people, obviously on the healthcare side, regardless of their professional athletes or not be able to communicate exactly what's going on with them, being able to communicate, um, what this specifically means and being able to truly understand what, a, what another is communicating to you. Uh, it's huge, right? I've seen it go awry a lot of different places. And I'm super fortunate that my parents, uh, who are Mexican immigrants, you know, more than 30 years ago at this point, they spoke Spanish to me. I had to learn it. You know, I have some, I've come a couple of my family members who still only exclusively speak Spanish and we always joke with them because they should have learned English by now. We always joke with them because they've been here so long. Um, but we constantly, you know, joke with them about that. And it's been something that I, to be honest, I never really considered, it's just it's just normal to me, right? Being able to speak Spanish, being able mm-hmm. to speak English. And I almost compartmentalized it to, to a certain degree until um, I had an incident when I was a student that happened that, that was, um, we, we can link the article, I'm sure, in the show, show notes. I, I don't want to belabor the point. Essentially, it was a situation where somebody pointed out I was speaking Spanish and it, there were some, um, there were some, we'll call them. Uh, discriminatory contexts around the mm-hmm. situation that really made me realize like, Hey, wow, this is something that I need to be more aware of, cognizant of, but it also helped me embrace my culture a little bit more, which led me to writing for the APTA, which led this article still being circulated where people reached out to me. People reach out to me like pretty frequently about that article that's still posted from 2018, man. Like that's nuts to me. Um, just I think being bilingual has obviously led me, um, been been a driver to this situation as a whole. But I think that uh, writing about it and expressing it and and having it out there has empowered. At least it seems to my perception is that it's empowered some people to feel the same way about whatever you know they whatever strength they might have. And I think a, a takeaway for me is like in this world where we like you were saying like we always want to stand out, we want to be competitive. It's I sort of view the internet as a place that's like, it's almost like, I don't know a good analogy. Like you always growing up, we're told to like always have a resume, right? Like always have your resume updated. I almost feel like having a presence on the internet, like this podcast, for example, like where you document conversation that you've had, you document your part of your personality, you document part of your knowledge base. Having something like that is so important because without that, you know, my assistant GM might not have found me to, to Mm -hmm. discuss the opportunity potentially. Right. And, and I think that's super important. That's another sort of side lesson, but, um, coming back to the point and I, I told you I wouldn't ramble and I'm rambling, uh, coming back to the point is I've had, um, a really, really unique experience that now I really appreciate being able to serve the Latin players in a better way. Um, their eyes light up when they know somebody in the room speaks Spanish, which is fantastic to me. Mm -hmm. Um, it's been, it's been a really, really fun experience. I'll put it that way. Like I, I really appreciate it and I'm super fortunate to be in this position.
0: The it's, it's incredible that sometimes the, what we feel like are like the lowest moments in our life or the most challenging or our biggest struggle or something we're just like really like embarrassed about or not proud of, or just like uncertain about, like that can lead to so much like good and growth and change. Um, and it seems like that happened for you. And that was probably a moment where you could have gone the other way and just like, you know, I like, I have more self doubt. I don't like it. So many negative things could have come from that situation. And instead it seems like you took it the other way. You know what? Like I'm going to embrace like my family and where they're from and what we do and how we speak. And I just think it's incredible. I read an article from Eric Cressy a couple years ago, and he said, If you want to work in baseball, here are some things that can make you stand out. It's like, all right, like, I don't know if I'd want to work in baseball, but like, I like Eric's stuff. And one of them was like, Speak Spanish. And he's like, A lot of baseball players speak Spanish. Like, it gives you an edge that other people don't have. I was like, wow, you know what? Like, if I I was someone who really wanted to do baseball, like, that's something I should take to heart because that's something that can set you apart and shows that you're committed. Um, and you've shown your commitment in so many other ways, whether it is um, starting your own podcast, like networking, taking a new opportunity that you didn't know, like, is this the best thing for me? Is it not? Um, and you've just seemed to dive headfirst into to anything that comes up, whether it's good, bad or ugly. Uh, I just want to applaud you that quickly, because that's really cool to me when people can share, hey, here's like a pretty like awful thing that happened to me. But this is how like I made the best out of it. Because we all have awful things that happen to us, and so many of us want to be we just want to sit back and like be the victim. Like, oh like I didn't get in the school I want, I didn't get the grades I want, I didn't, you know, get date the right girl. And then instead it's like, no, like we all have those. Some people do something with it, some people don't. How can you be someone who did something with it? So um those a very long that. congratulations. Yeah, but no, 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 I, I appreciate that. Um and that's the kind of reason i started the podcast because it's like i have a hard time talking about things that i think are super personal that were like i don't love talking about one example is like i failed my driving test in high school i didn't fail once i failed it twice and it's like in high school that's the most embarrassing thing in the world right and now like you laugh about it you talk about it but then someone else is like yeah i failed mine too you're like oh like yeah, we have something in common you know um and then like deeper things like oh like when i was in freshman college Like I was a math major and I had a D minus going into midterms and professors like you should drop the class. It's like, wow. At the time, like I didn't talk to anybody about it. I was like super upset. Like I was supposed to be a math major. And now I came and passed like my second math class. Um, So I know, I think it just makes you more relatable and makes you more of a human, but also people, you think it's like, Oh, people are not going to listen to me. Like they're going to think like, Oh, this guy came and passed math class. Why would I take advice from him? But Instead, it shows people like you're real, you're authentic, you're willing to share. And when you have good moments, they can celebrate them with you, too.
1: 100%, man. I, I couldn't agree with, more with that statement. So like, and then like if what's vulnerability hour, apparently, so I'll, I'll share this too. Dude, man, it took me, and I shared this on, on Twitter too. It took me two cycles to get into PT school. I like, ha- I had to retake chemistry too. My wife still makes fun of me, jokingly. I mean, she loves me. I had to retake chemistry too, like twice right? Chemistry too. Like, when am I, when the last time, you know, when the last time was that I, that I saw a chemistry problem was my chemistry final. The second Mm -hmm. time that I, that I retook it, right? So the third total (laughs) time, like nobody cared. like nobody cared. And it was me being a knucklehead who I wouldn't just put, you know, apply myself as a reason that that happened in the first place. But like, it's easy to look at somebody and believe that that person had it, you know, they're just super lucky to be where they are. Like a lot of this stuff takes a lot of work. And I think, a, a you know, a lot of luck too, in a lot of certain like cases, a lot of scenarios, like you have to be at the right place at the right time to put yourself in that position, right? Who's, who's that, that corny quote that, what is it like, like people, you don't, you I don't believe in good luck. I believe in creating your luck or whatever the case may be. Like, I think there's some truth to that, right? You uh-huh. work your ass off to put yourself in the position to, to accept an opportunity when it comes across and that's that comes with a lot like a lot of redemption stories, right? That's that comes with a, a lot of um a lot of rough waters sometimes and and speed bumps. And I think that's just like life, man. I think that's that's we're getting really deep. <laughs> that's I think that's a really like beautiful thing. And I think that it's cool that we're talking about it.
0: When I was in high school and college and even in and especially grad school, I worried about so many things, whether it was like a test grade or like oh like what am I gonna do with my life or it was like everything and anything. Now when I see someone in that same position, I try and relate to them. Like hey, I worried about these things too. Guess what? Like it worked out. Or if what you wanted originally, it usually changes. And the thing you're really worried about probably wasn't even a big deal, or went way better than you thought. So I try to give that advice. Like hey, like I understand you really care about this exam. Guess what? In ten years, you're not gonna remember what you got on it, and you probably gonna do just fine and that shouldn't take away from like from your life like like the point of life is to i guess i don't know the point of life now we're getting really deep now i i need a fullback. Right, I, man i brought you here <laughs> i brought you here
1: i hope i'm living up to the expectation here
0: the um we're not gonna get into the point of life that is a different podcast that's a I di- i need to do more homework for that um but no i think i think a lot of people can just relate to like okay like this is a struggle. The, these guys have been through it. They're talking about it. Like, I can do this, um, especially with someone. And it's, it's so funny. I try not to get in, like, titles too much, but it's like, you work in pro sports. And most kids growing up, like, want to be athletes. And the ones that be athletes want to play in pro sports. And the ones who don't get to the pro level, they want to work in the pro level or work with pro athletes. Like it's, it's a cool thing to do. It's a cool thing, especially in the United States, like, to do is be associated with pro athletics. And you've gotten to that point, and I, I I don't know if that's changed the way you view yourself or your career, or your accomplishments. But I think it's really cool that that you've taken whatever sacrifice and risk or moving across the country, whatever you've done to get to the to the point you're at, um, and still look forward uh, to to what's ahead. Absolutely, yeah. And it's been a, a whirlwind, man.
1: Um, being dropped into an orthopedic clinic from. Uh, I mean, from an orthopedic clinic to the training room, like I said, uh, was definitely a a shock. But just like most PTs out there, I had, you know, the vision in my head for a long time that I wanted to work in professional sports. Uh, I worked really hard um, in orthopedics, not necessarily in sports, but I still, you know, was really, really enjoyed working with athletes and this opportunity presented itself. And now I'm on your podcast, man. Like, I really think I could retire after tonight. Like this is like this is peak <laughs> career, peak profession being a guest on your podcast, man.
0: Well, now that we've solved the meaning of life, I do have to confess last year in uh, one of my fantasy leagues, we could keep one player and I kept Calvin Ridley over Jonathan uh, Taylor. Over and this is Jonathan Taylor. If you have you heard of him? Yeah. So and this has nothing to do with Calvin now. Ridley's situation very sensitive. Like right, I wish right. him the best. Um, but the number one running back by far. Um, it was a long. That's a brutal decision,
1: like, man. That is a brutal. Yeah. That that you honestly had. I mean, it's not your fault by any means, though. I mean, what could you have done? That that is one. Um, and I'm gonna. I want to still want a greater draft. I hope you're gonna let me do that. But that is one decision that I can't judge you for and yeah we do we we hope the best for for Calvin Ridley we don't know what he's going through I think generally speaking um, just to tap on to tap on the subject a little bit generally speaking the average individual and especially the average sports fan I don't think has uh, is equipped to have that conversation regarding mental health so uh, we won't dive too deeply into that but we do wish Calvin Ridley the best and yeah man you could be you could be sailing right now with Jonathan Taylor but you're not who else did you take
0: uh, it was an eight team league. Um so, oh, so you should be stacked. This team yeah, well it should and you know, um so I we it's a two quarterback. You like with these leagues now, you really gotta do, like preface like what like what's the scoring, like two quarterbacks, right. whatever. Right, right. So it's two quarterbacks, I think two running backs, three receivers, tight end, uh I think we did kicker. So f- round one, I went Patrick Mahomes, round two, I went Zeke Elliott. Round three, I went Russell Wilson. Round four, I got to keep Calvin Ridley. And then, so two of my top four hardly played like most of the year. Um, and, uh, but that's how fantasy goes, right? So that is fantasy. Um, yeah.
1: You can't, and, and did you see, you know, you can have the argument too. Zeke played through a torn PCL allegedly. That's what he said, right? So, You'll have some arguments. People say, oh, well, athletes, you know, NFL athletes play through PC all the time. But I mean, that's tough to do. You can't really blame you there. He sounds like you had some pretty bad luck overall, though, man.
0: I can't well, even it Zeke, like Zeke was a second round pick and he was still running back like 10. In our yeah, league. he still wasn't so, bad. He's kind of like, that's not a bad pick for a second. You know, the whole season, I'm like, he's like, I got to play him. He's doing OK. But like, it's like, well, he's not running back. He's not Jonathan Taylor. But um <laughs> He's still i think sometimes in in fan or going back to fancy here, like you just expect like all oh, these guys they like, can score twenty points every week to be awesome. It's like dude if you have a running back who's averaging like thirteen to fifteen points in like a half PPR league and they're doing that every single week and they're playing every week like you're gonna be pretty happy with that um, Cause this year there's so many injuries at the top of the running back spot it's like you got someone who you can at least put in your lineups like you're gonna be a little better than than the most but no in that league, I counted uh um like at the end of the season, all my starters except Zeke and Mahomes were guys that I didn't draft. They were oh, all picked. Yeah, and that dude—that's what I was about
1: to say next. Like fifty—you're gonna have like fifty percent roster turnover from draft day to the last game yeah. game of the year. Like it just happens. Like dudes get traded, or they get hurt, or you know they get even like suspended. Like COVID was nuts, man. This year, COVID was absolutely nuts. And I think mm-hmm. it's really beautiful. And it's safe to say, I probably won't get hired by the NFL. Uh it's really beautiful that the NFL solved COVID right, right before the playoffs. I think that's a beautiful <laughs> thing. We should really share that how they did that. With us. <laughs> you can edit that out if you.
0: <laughs> oh man. Fans is listening. Um in my other league though, I had my we did two quarterbacks, two running backs and then four flex. Another eight team league and my four flexed at the beginning of the year were Amari Cooper, Julio Jones, uh DK Metcalf and DeAndre Hopkins and I was like oh like we're set we're good to go end of the year it's like man like I couldn't kind of been more wrong so it uh I will do better next year because I have the advice from you both through your That's podcast right. and through right. Twitter so the Tom Broback fantasy experience <laughs> is going to take a huge uptick and you can have You can have. uh, I'll give you maybe twenty percent of the winnings. Um, I I will take twenty percent is
1: quite generous, actually. If I got a twenty percent of everybody's winnings that uh, that (laughs) follows me on Twitter, I would be one happy man. I I wouldn't be working for the twins. I think I'd be just on vacation somewhere. Um, The other Uh thing though is too is it's funny. Like part of part of what when I can help another healthcare provider or PT, it's like ninety nine percent because I just am the one who. Like I'll put in the time to even keep up on the news. Like you could, you could interpret all the information I interpret, but you're just like, why would I do that? So and and why would you do that? Like, <laughs> so I do it, and um, I'll tweet about it and I'll write about it. Like DK, like you talked about DK Metcalf. He apparently the dude had a screw taken out of his foot last week, and so that probably was impacting his ability to run routes. Like that's probably safe to assume. And so like just having little tidbits of news and information like that readily available. Um, has given me a huge advantage in my leagues. Like, I'm I don't I don't necessarily gain an advantage from like knowing the nuances of a high ankle sprain and, and the, the difference between return timeframes for skill players versus like offensive linemen. Like a lot of it is just because I have access to people who have information, get information really quickly because they do this for a living. And that's really mm-hmm. honestly half the battle. If I could give any advice on this podcast, and if you're out there in fantasy league, I know I know that you're out there in fantasy league. Turn on your notifications either for like Adam Schefter or NBC NBC Sports Edge or at FB injury doc on Twitter. <laughs> and you'll have information readily available. Like set those notifications and 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 you'll you'll be good to go. You can get those waiver wire wire uh, uh, picks in pretty quickly.
0: Absolutely. My least favorite thing is when a season wraps up and it's like, oh this player had uh this this major injury week five and played with the whole season <laughs> right, so, right, yeah. that could have helped me in week five i would have done <laughs> yeah. stuff differently you know you always get to the end of season
1: and they're like oh yeah and this player played with an artificial foot and you're like oh well that would have been nice to know <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like i would have drafted a little different i would have had a backup you know or like right. this player. Like, uh, yeah, it's like, Hey, they didn't want to, you know, it's like a holdout situation and it's like, Oh yeah, before the season they said, we're not, I'm not playing as, you know, a single down this year. It's like that could have helped me before I drafted him in, in round four. Um, but no. Injuries are part of the sports, are part of the games, but that's why we have awesome PTs like you, Edwin, involved both on the fantasy side, which is super important, and also the the actual athletes playing, which I guess is is super important as well. (laughs) Super important. Absolutely. Thanks for taking time uh, to be on the podcast. I really appreciate you and look forward to your your tweets, your info coming out, and uh, good luck. Hopefully this baseball season takes off soon and, and things go smoothly. Absolutely, Tom. Thank you so much for having me
1: on. This has been fun, man. We we went we went wide on this one. We had a good range. I appreciate it.